Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm excited to share today with Netta Gorman. I'll hand you over to Netta and let her tell us all about her, where she's from and what she does. Hello, Netta. Hi, nice to be with you, Matthew. So, um, yes, I am from the UK, actually. Grew up in Coventry, went to university in York, and um, my dad lived in Devon. So I've been around, you know, several areas of the UK. But when I was 18, after my A-levels, I moved to French-speaking Quebec in Canada because I was into French at the time, and I sort of ended up staying for over 30 years. So I teach English as a second language in like a college of further education um, or technical college, they call it here. And that's what I've been doing all my career for it's, I'm into my 28th year now doing that. So that's sort of my my background. Um, but really, what I'm sure you're interested in more than my English speaking skills <laughs> is uh, the fact that um, six and a half years ago, as a temporary experiment, a bit like moving to Canada, <clears throat> um, I stopped eating sugar, grains, flour, and sweeteners, um, just as a two-week experiment to see if it would help my digestion. I didn't have a weight problem. I had chronic constipation for like 15 years, kept getting worse and worse, ended up, like I was going to the bathroom, to put it politely, um, like once a week. And I was in great pain, very uncomfortable, as you can imagine, bloating, sort of got backache from it. And I went to see all the doctors and they took x-rays and they told me eat more fiber and gave me little laxative pills, which I don't recommend. <laughs> um, and it just got worse and worse. And I couldn't understand why when I was doing everything that the doctors were telling me, everything was still getting worse. I thought maybe I'm not a good patient. And I was eating all the high fiber bars and everything else uh, and nothing was helping. And um, eventually I um, consulted a nutritional therapist and she was in the USA. So we did it over Zoom, which in 2015 was like a rarity. <laughs> Nobody had ever heard of Zoom. I think it was Skype actually. Um, and she, anyway, to make a long story short, which I'm not very good at, <laughs> um, she said to me, um, after asking me 101 questions, she said, Netta, I think you're not making enough stomach acid and you're just not digesting. And I'd never heard of that because, you know, you hear people taking anti-acids. You'd never heard of anyone not making enough stomach acid. So we, we took it slowly because she couldn't be absolutely sure, but um, we looked after that part of things first and um, with that she said to me you know I think it might help you if you do this little elimination experiment um, just for a couple of weeks and see if it helps your dige digestion so you know she proposed no sugar no sweeteners no flour slash grains and even no dairy and I said no thanks I said no <laughs> Were you crazy? <laughs> Did she explain to you at the time then why she was saying that to lose all oh, yeah. of these produce? Yeah, she explained it all. I knew all the facts, and I said I still said no, thank you, <laughs> because I just didn't want to. I didn't want to get rid of all the foods that I loved. I was already suffering enough with my digestion. Why would I want to make myself suffer even more? Right. So I was in total denial. I said no for weeks on end. And the thing was that things weren't getting that much better mm -hmm. with me saying no, thank you. So I thought, oh, all right. <laughs> My body sort of backed me into a corner and I said, well, look, okay, two weeks, I can do it. What have I got to lose? So eventually, but it, you know, I was a bit hard headed about it, but eventually I sort of got back to her and I said, all right, all right, all right, I'll give it a try. And I did. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm pleased in the end you <laughs> you managed to convince yourself to go for it. And I'm sure you're pleased as well. Uh, so I, I ended up being pleased, but I wasn't at the time. Yeah, at the time, yeah. So you went into it because that's how a lot of people do first. They get backed into a corner and made to do things like that. Obviously, we're trying to promote the idea of don't get yourself backed into a corner. Just try it out and just go slowly with it. And just try these things that we're telling you to do and look out for the real food. But 
when when you did go through that then you went all the way through your two weeks was you just ready to throw in the towel and straight away after the two weeks was you thinking right this is it i'm counting down the days a bit like an advent calendar once my two weeks is done i'm back to let's say normal in inverted commas well at the beginning of the two weeks that's exactly how i set out to do it i was like i can do it for two weeks but I'm keeping all the biscuits and all the bread and all the chocolate in my cupboards because, you know, I'll just go back into it. This is just like a little experiment. So, um, but funnily enough, life has it that it gives you a bit of a smack in the face when you need it most sometimes. And in this instance, after my first two weeks, the first week was rough. I got some detox symptoms and I was a bit knockout really. But the second week, I started just feeling so much better, lots more energy and like stable energy all day long. And as I said before, I never really had a weight problem, but I did have some post baby weight around my middle and that started to sort of melt away without me doing any sort of exercise or anything like that. And I was sort of getting my joints felt more supple and I wasn't getting as many headaches. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll just try another week, just one more week, you know. Um, And so I got in touch with the nutritional therapist and I said, is it okay if I just carry on another week? She says, well, you do what you like, you know, it's not going to do you any harm. Um, And, you know, you can put in a few of the items that we eliminated. And I said, no, don't don't you tell me what to do. (laughs) And I said, no, on the opposite end of the scale. No, I'm not bringing back any of those things that I'm sort of slowly realizing were making me feel so awful. So I carried on for another week then another week and then another week and long story short it's been six and a half years <laughs> brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah so I don't know if you realized that at the time then did you was you thinking to yourself it's simply because of all the glucose and all the insulin sensitivity that you was getting from your diet beforehand and at the time you was probably thinking not not knowing all of this but I presume since then you've gone away and you've obviously researched it looked into it why your body was reacting the way it does how your body was giving you the signals of not being great because of all the inflammation and things like that so maybe you could emphasize and and tell us a little bit about why you your body was feeling a lot better because you ditched all those processed grains and things like that Yeah, yes. Well, you're right. I didn't know what was going on inside, nor did I really care (laughs) at the time, because, you know, all that counted for me was I was expecting to feel awful. But here I was feeling much, much better. Um, And because I'm a teacher and I've been a teacher all my career and I'm sort of, I would say, intellectually curious, I did start reading up on it. And in fact, even before I said yes to this experiment, I'd read grain brain and uh, wheat belly and sort of started I I felt like I was starting to brainwash myself to sort of convince myself that it was worth doing it and why why would I even want to cut out you know we understand a bit about sugar because everybody says how bad sugar is for you but why grains why flour what's the deal with that so I had started reading up on it And then I got sort of more and more into reading up on it and finding out about this whole thing with the blood sugar up spikes and crashes and then what that does to to your insulin production and what the role of insulin is and fat storage. And it was completely opposite to what I'd always understood or been told about weight gain and you know about everything to do with health where it was all about calories before right I grew up in the 80s and 90s and it was all about calories and low fat was the thing and here I was reading up on actual human biology (laughs) that nobody was sort of paying for studies about and I mean, human biology doesn't care who's financed the studies to come to the, the lobby's conclusions. So human biology says different. It says it's not so much the number of calories as the source of the calories and where they come from and what they do to your blood sugar and therefore your insulin production and therefore your fat storage. And I was amazed that it was so simple and amazed that I'd never been told this. Like, it was like someone was keeping this big 
secret from me and from the rest of us. And it's like the diet industry knew all about it, but just wasn't telling us the right info. I think that's the thing, isn't it? The information's always been out there. And like you say, our own human biology will tell us when we're doing something right and something wrong. So it's always been there. I think the whole thing that's masked everything for everybody has been the marketing and the influences that have been put upon us by these big corporations and big companies selling selling things like sugar and selling things like processed food. They've told you that they are better for you when, in fact, when you look into the science and you dive into all the anecdotal evidence from everybody telling you about their own human body, what happens. In fact, it is quite the opposite. Our bodies do not function very well with sugars and processed foods. What our bodies function best with is real food. And, and I, will, I will always promote a, a real food nutrition above anything. And I know yourself, a lot of people seem to think that as soon as you say um, low sugar or no sugar, it lends itself over to the growing popularity of the ketogenic diet, the keto diet, however you want to say it. Um, maybe you could explain to people why you're not on ketogenic diet, what the ketogenic diet is to start with for, for, for some people listening, and potentially why you should focus on real food and not the ketogenic diet. Yes, yes. Well, um, about a couple of years after I sort of cut sugar and flour and sweeteners out of my diet, um, the keto diet came along. And I thought, yes, at last, some like minded people, because I was feeling a bit lonely, you know, being the only one I'd come across who was eating like myself, like me. And so I thought, yes, at last, you know, something sensible coming along. And it didn't take long for me to get disenchanted. <laughs> with uh, the not so much the foods in the keto diet, which is basically whole foods, but it's how the keto diet got twisted around and made sort of into this um, just, it was just like it became so popular that it was inevitable that the, ind the food industry would jump on it and create keto products. And so whenever I go into my local supermarket, let's say, and now there's a whole keto area of the supermarket. And it makes me smile because that whole keto area is full of pro like products. And I would venture to say processed products, packaged products. And I'm thinking, well, hang on. All the keto foods have always been in the supermarket, in the fruit and veg stores, you know, in the meat and, and seafood and fish area. I mean, you don't need to add in keto products they've always been there as whole food so that sort of always made me smile a bit and I got into keto groups and whatnot on Facebook thinking you know I'll make some new friends and I ran out of there you know <laughs> scared to death because of the keto police and they were like you know pointing fingers at people who happen to have a carrot on their plate. And I thought, gosh, you know, come on. Um, I mean, the keto diet in and of itself was developed actually for neurological disorders and not at all as a weight loss thing. Of course, you know, anything that, that results in weight loss is bound to be snapped up by the general public and food industry but that wasn't at all what it was developed for and so unless you've got some real serious neurological problems you don't necessarily need to be in ketosis but ketosis is when you've got 20 grams of net carbs or less in every you know every day that you're consuming in food and then your body will switch from burning glucose for energy to burning ketones for energy and yes, you know, people uh, report feeling a lot more energetic and with a lot more mental clarity. And I have all of those things as well. Am I in ketosis? I'll tell you, honestly, I don't care. I don't care whether I am or not. <laughs> and I certainly don't track or measure or, you know, do any of those things because first of all, yeah, I don't care. And second, I've got all the benefits of feeling more energetic and having better mental clarity and all the rest of it, you know, losing weight as well, um, without bothering about whether or not I'm in ketosis or whether or not I'm eating a carrot. 
Yeah. So I it's mean, a lot healthier. I, I love the I mean, way that you put that because I always try and take it back to our evolution and our evolution biology, where we came from and what what we was what we actually evolved like. And when you think about it like that, ketosis, yes, for definite, our ancestors were in ketosis at certain times. Did they know? Did they measure? No, <laughs> but the human body is capable of doing it. And I do believe a ketogenic style of nutrition can be handy for somebody who wants to break the cycle, who wants to try something different, who wants to metabolically reset, something like that. But as a long-term nutrition um, to go into ketosis all of the time, I think it fights against what the human body really wants to do. Because the human body, a lot of your organs, especially your brain, really wants to run on glucose. So let's give it things like fruits and vegetables and actual foods that do produce that type of glucose that it needs. Sure, it doesn't want a whole load of processed carbohydrates. It's not what the human body needs. When people say carbohydrates, they tend to get a bit scared in the keto community and think, oh, no, it's carbohydrate. I can't touch it. But our body will use them and will utilize them really, really well. We have been doing it since the dawn of eras and since we were started to evolve into Homo sapiens. And I always try and take it back and think um, we're only a snippet in time compared to where we have come from. So let's try and learn from the past. So ketogenic um, nutrition as a whole, like you say, is great to just reset, take stock. But then from there, let's lean on those real whole foods, whatever they be, if they be a carrot, if they be berries, if they be fruit, it's real food. And our body knows how to deal with real food. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I consider that I'm metabolically flexible now. You know, I'm fat adapted. I experience appetite correction and all these sort of concepts that I never knew anything about. I happen to uh, do intermittent fasting, you know, naturally, intuitively, because I eat when I'm hungry. And because I'm not spiking my blood sugars, which I used to think was hunger, which is crazy, because I used to eat five, six times a day, how could I possibly be hungry? But, you know, now, I just don't get hungry. And I eat when I, I am hungry, which sometimes is only once or twice a day. And I enjoy my food immensely, because I'm I don't have these guilt trips that I used to have about, oh, should I, should I eat this? Should I have eaten less of that? Can I have a second helping? I don't have to bother with any of that. It's complete freedom. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm pleased you touched on metabolic flexibility because I wonder if you can dive a little bit deeper into that, tell people what metabolic flexibility is because I always, when I try and work with somebody, I always have that as the number one goal. Whatever their goal is, if they come to me for losing weight, if they come to me for athletic performance, whatever it is, I always think, right, at the end of the time, when I finish working with you, you want to be metabolically flexible. So let's, you know, tell people where we're, what we're aiming for there. Yeah. Yes. Well, going from sort of glucose burning state for your body to ketone burning state and everything in between re requires quite a lot of effort from your body to go from one state to the other and if you can pass from one state to the other without even noticing and your body can do that naturally and happily then that's my sort of definition of being metabolically flexible so you know one day I could be fasting um, because I'm just not hungry you know for the whole day which um, might put my body into a state of ketosis and then another day I could be eating more fruit and vegetables where my body is now burning those uh, for glucose you know and and my brain and my body is, is burning glucose for energy and so I don't get any sort of side effects from one state to the next and that makes me metabol metabolically flexible. That's right yeah definitely and and again I'm I don't like, I'll take it back to our ancestors. That's what they were. They could eat anything at any time, fruits, vegetables. One day, they may not have got any meat at that particular day, that particular week, but they could survive on root vegetables or berries. They was able to do that and then go a time without eating and then go a time where perhaps meat was readily available and they could get lots of it. So your body's got to be able to cope with each state. And when I work with athletes, I often find they adapt a lot quicker because they are able to go a whole day just training, not, nothing eating, and then go a whole day with maybe 
carbohydrate loading. <laughs> Not carbohydrate loading in the sense of pastas and breads and things like that, but carbohydrate loading and carbohydrate in the whole food form. Things like sweet potatoes and berries and fruits and, and carrots and things that we've, we've mentioned there. So I always, like I say, I always push that real food agenda. I'm presuming you're the same. And every, every time I set a program with everybody, I always try and get rid of the processed food. But something that people often say when they start into this type of way of eating is what is real food and what is processed food? Because people, some people still think bread, still think pasta, still think rice is a kind of real food. So why is it not? Yes, yes. And I was exactly the same, you know, when I first got this list from the nutritional therapist of real foods, I thought, I can't just eat those. You know, that's like excluding 80, 90% of what's in the supermarket. So I think we need to redefine, we need a new dictionary and redefine our, what food is for us. And I think the food industry has done a great job and I'm being sarcastic here, a great job of selling us a bill of goods that real food is all those boxes and packages and cans and whatever on the supermarket shelves in the, in the central aisles. But if you walk around the outskirts, the, the outside, the perimeter of a supermarket, that's where you'll find real foods. And, you know, a lot of people sort of come to me and ask for help about reading labels and finding sneaky hidden sugars in labels. And I tell them no real foods, zero real foods contain hidden sugars because they don't have any added sugars at all. If you're adding, if the industry is adding any type of sugar, then it's necessarily a processed food. And like real whole foods, like fruit and vegetables that we were saying, they do contain natural sugars. That's not what people should be freaking out about. In fact, we shouldn't be freaking out about anything except for being, you know, like hoodwinked by the food industry. But yeah, real whole foods are on the perimeter of most supermarkets. That's where you find them. So meat, fish, seafood, plant-based proteins, beans, pulses, um, dairy products that I just eat them fermented because I'm into fermented foods and drinks that we'll talk about in a minute as well. Um, and eggs, um, yeah, it's fruit and vegetables, all those nuts, seeds, those are real foods. And you can mix and match them in thousands of different ways to make all kinds of recipes and meals. You'll never run out. So we don't, I mean, the few processed, let's say minimally processed products that I eat are olive oil, um, avocado oil, coconut milk, tin tomatoes, maybe. That's about it. Well, you mentioned fermented foods. How about uh, sourdough? Have you been tempted there? I've been tempted because during, you know, COVID, um, I actually asked my husband to start making sourdough bread, um, not because I eat bread, but because I wanted to experience the whole process of fermentation. But of course, the house smelled so good. <laughs> of freshly baked sourdough bread that I had to have a little bit. I sort of use it as a support for my butter. You know, it's just to put my butter on something. <laughs> but actually what happened, what ended up happening is I found that I couldn't just eat one slice of bread. And that sourdough bread triggered a behavior in me that I hadn't had for like five years of not being able to stop. And I realized that because I hadn't experienced it for so many years that I used to have with chocolate and all sorts of things. Um, and I said to myself, I don't want to go back there for that type of behavior. Nothing wrong with the bread. It was my behavior that I didn't want to have. That's uh, interesting that you should say that because the exact same thing happened to my wife when we uh, started eating a lot of bears, started eating real foods and things. And we figured out that these fermented foods were potentially okay. You could digest them okay. They wouldn't cause you the inflammation. So we sought out some real sourdough bread. And because of the fact that she was able to have it, she was having lots of it. <laughs> and it's kind of like, hang on a minute. And then obviously there then came the problems of, oh, something's not right. What is it? Well, I've had two loaves of sourdough in as many days and <laughs> that's the, probably the problem. So although fermented foods are great and they can really help with your digestion and things, you still have to be sure not to overdo it. And if you found yeah. that with all kinds of fermented foods. Well, with, with, I would say with sourdough bread, it's a bit of an exception to the other fermented foods that I eat because 
Um, in any case, the baking, the, the high heat in baking will kill, kill off most of the good bacteria. So what you have at the end of the of the bread, like the baked bread is not really, it's fermented, but it's not probiotic. So it's, we're sort of making ourselves believe that we're eating a probiotic food, but actually it's a bit like beer, yes, and wine. Yes, it's fermented, but it's not probiotic. So there is a difference between the two. Whereas the foods that I make and consume that actually are probiotics, it's my own kombucha, which, you know, people find funny because you have to have sugar right to make kombucha so I, I always joke that I've never had so many bags of sugar in my house since, since I went sugar free <laughs> but I'm too lazy to eat the sugar I let my good bacteria eat it for me so I make my own kombucha water kefir I make my own sauerkraut and other fermented vegetables kimchi I make my own yogurt which is a mesophilic yogurt which ferments at room temperature you don't need a yogurt maker milk kefir I make as well all those things Perhaps tell us uh, when you say fermented somebody, make your own fermented things, then people get a bit scared, like, oh, no, I don't know how to do that. But tell us how the process works. Yeah, yeah, well, the beauty of it is that you don't have to know anything or do anything extra except just let time go by. And the good bacteria do all the work for you. And so, for example, if you have kombucha, it's as easy as making a pot of tea, right? So you just brew up some black tea some people use green tea i prefer black tea you add a certain amount of sugar it's a third of a cup for a for a liter of black tea and um so you've got sweet black tea and you've got a little bit of starter a bit of ready-made kombucha that you someone can gift you that you know we we gift kombucha starters and scobies which is like the the disc rather than buy it you know in, in the fermenting culture we give rather than buy anyway and then you put in the scoby or the, this disc and you wait around for like 10 days for for the for me I, I let it ferment for up to four weeks because it really does eat up the sugar and so there's no residual sugar left in my kombucha but the, the longer it ferments the less residual sugar is left most people would like it after about 10 days but because my tastes have changed so much since I dropped sugar I don't like sweet tastes anymore um my kombucha would not sell <laughs> on the supermarket <laughs> shelves and and I have to say that most um uh, supermarket kombuchas or um are I would say one step away from seven up, really. Yes. Yeah, that's right. It's far better to make your own and they don't let it ferment long enough or they try and rush the process with extra added ingredients. That's why it's uh, not great to buy it. But um, fermentation as well helps to release a lot more of the nutrients and the food becomes more nutrient dense as well, doesn't it? Yes. For the fermented vegetables that I make, like sauerkraut and kimchi, yes, the enzymes and the lactic acid that are produced increase the nutritional value of the original vegetable which was already good for you yeah that's right and, and as i mentioned earlier it's easier to digest as well it becomes uh like let's for example take um, something like a carrot it then becomes more bioavailable to the body after you fermented it so you can pull out more nutrition from that exactly. vegetable so yeah it's and a great, way, like, great way so for someone like me who had a lot of digestive issues um, I, I'm regular as anything, in case you were wondering now. <laughs> and my, I have zero digestive problems now. No bloating, no gas, nothing. It's wonderful. Yeah, so that's great. And I'd say to anybody out there, if you're looking for a way to get in your favourite vegetables or, or beans, pulses, anything like that, then just uh, ferment them and then you'll uh, hopefully see a difference. Now, you mentioned yeah. uh, intermittent fasting a little bit earlier on. I just want to touch on that because... I tend to use intermittent fasting uh, quite a lot in the early days when I work with people just to see how their metabolism works and if they can cope with it and things like that. But I don't always say you have to do it for a lifetime. Similar sort of thing with, with keto. I think you, you should be able to do it and you can do it whenever you want. Listen to your body is the big thing I always say. If your body's not hungry, if you're not ready to eat and you don't feel like you have to eat. Um, there's lots of people out there now that think breakfast um, dinner time and tea time they're all cemented in and you have to have them at certain times of the day not true you can eat whenever you want and you can eat what you want when you want if you want steak for breakfast have steak for breakfast but you know intermittent fasting I do think it's a great tool to have but would you say that it's a case of 
making sure that you do a certain amount of fasting per week or just it happens when it happens? Well, it depends on each person, right? So I can't, what I've noticed with, you know, working with so many people about sugar and reducing sugar is that, you know, we're all different. So um, I can say what works for me. And for me, I didn't even know intermittent fasting existed. I didn't know it had a name. I didn't know what it was, but I'd been doing it for five years before I realized it was a thing. <laughs> a bit like keto, you know, suddenly they give it a name and it's a thing. Um, so for me, it the fact that I cut down or cut out sugar, sweeteners and um, starches, refined starches especially, um, just just brought back, brought down, sorry, my hunger level uh, to the point where I, I can't, I was like forcing myself to eat three times a day because I was under, you know, this belief that you've got to eat three times a day. And only when I gave myself permission through my, you know, reading and everything else and to, to just eat when I'm hungry. And so some days, yeah, it's once a day, some days it's twice a day. Um, if we're uh, with company, which doesn't happen that often since COVID, but you know, if we're invited over and it's three times a day, so be it. You know, but at some point after a few days of eating three times a day, I can't handle it anymore. I'm not comfortable anymore. Yeah, I think it's great. And it's really, really good to emphasize that because I've worked with people who are happy eating three times a day all of the time. And they say, do I have to fast? Do I have to have that one day fasting, you know, maybe even once a month, something and I say, no, if, if that doesn't suit your lifestyle, if you're eating a, a real food, nutrient dense, you know, very good diet anyway, then don't feel like you have to put it in. But then on the other hand, there's those people who say, no, I, I you know, I can't eat like you just said, I can't eat three times a day. Eventually, I just feel like my body needs the break. I need the rest. Um, so it is very, very important for everybody listening and anybody out there to just listen to your body. If you're, yes. if you're hungry, eat especially athletes. I do work with some athletes and a lot of athletes out there will force intermittent fasting and will force going out to do exercise on no food. It depends how you feel. If you can do that and you're comfy doing that, then fine. But if you are hungry and you need fuel for your, you need energy to perform, then do that too. Just make yes. sure you're still in that spectrum of all those real foods and you're not guzzling down the porridge in the morning. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, you know, I know it sounds easy to say eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. But I was not able to know when I was actually hungry all my life. Only in my mid 40s did I actually sort of read up on it and realize that the sensation that I was interpreting as being hunger was actually just blood sugar spikes and crashes and that um I'd actually never known real hunger in my life. And I doubt most of us have, have you know, luckily. Um, and, then, and then I realized, well, if eating five or six times a day makes me feel, air quotes, hungry, and eating only once or twice a day, I'm not hungry, then there's something about that whole concept of hunger that needs, again, that needs reassessing and a new definition. Yeah, I think definitely you notice your senses change. Hunger is one of them and your taste buds change. And especially what changes is your taste for sugar and your taste for those carbohydrates. Because I know personally and I know from the people that I've worked with that certain foods they were able to eat and not even taste that it had sugar in it beforehand when they come over to a more real food type of nutrition and they go back to, let's say, your slice of cake they're like, oh, my God, can't touch it. I just cannot, you know, taste is horrible. And it, it is really out there. So anybody thinking that I can take, I, I can't taste the sugar in my food. I don't know when I'm hungry. I don't know when I'm not hungry. Then let's take a leaf out of your book and say, give me two weeks. Give yourself two weeks. Go out there, take out everything out of your nutrition and then go back to it and see what happens. And see what happens. Exactly. And, you know, because I teach languages, I, I like to make the analogy of it's like learning a new language. You know, you're not that good at it at first and you sort of don't understand what's going on. And then if you don't give up and if you gradually give yourself time and practice, then you end up being fluent, fluent in 
intermittent fasting and fluent in living sugar-free and you know and I have to say I was like the biggest sweet tooth ever before all this and people would make desserts just for me and I was the chocolate queen and you know my whole identity was wrapped up in sugar and I didn't realize it and then I had sort of this like existential angst of who am I now if I'm not the sugar queen yeah, that's brilliant to say. And just lately, I mean, I do a lot of work over the course of weekly periods. So some people I work with four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, things like that. But I'm coming more to the fore now of saying to people that make those little changes, those 1% changes here and there. It may take you a lot longer. It may take you a year, two years to finally adapt and realize where you've been. But you don't realize where you've been until you try and look back like yourself, like you say. Um, but how can people make those little smarter choices, those 1% smarter choices every day? What's sort of the first step they can take to say, let's say tomorrow to make a 1% change? What can they do? Yes. Yes. It's um, these atomic habits that James Clear writes about in his book. So I think that one of the first things to do before you even touch your food or change your food is to start thinking about what food is like we were saying before about our definition of food and to start sort of taking stock of everything that's in your house and with no guilt trip at all but to sort of you can even involve the kids you know to to point out how much um, how many products packaged products we consider to be foods that are actually um, engineered by the food industry, not only engineered to, to be products, but engineered to be addictive, quite frankly. Um, and how many of those products do we have on our shelves at home that come from the shelves in the supermarket that we consider to be food that we can reassess as we can just think about, well, hang on, what is real food? And how much or how little of it am I already consuming? That's super. That's a brilliant one. I've not heard that one said before. Lots of people quickly jump into nutrition and quickly try and make the change without actually saying, hang on a moment, let's just assess what we've got and how we can change how our kitchen's set up <laughs> to make it yeah. a lot easier to go forward with. That's a brilliant way to put it, because I am a firm believer of if you haven't got it there in the house, then you can't eat it. So it's all about changing your habits, about changing what's in your cupboards and changing, the, like you said earlier, the way you shop. If you want to go around the edge of the supermarkets or we're quite lucky where we are, we're quite rural. So we have local butchers and farm shops and things that we can go to as well, which are generally more real food based than any supermarket yeah yeah and I live in Canada so we've got snow on the ground for half the year so nothing grows you know during the winter here um so you know we're not as lucky as you are so we have to be a little bit more sort of forward thinking but we've got a freezer full of wild animals wild meat you know things like that um, because I'm also in a rural area I'm 700 kilometers from the nearest city so that's pretty rural um but yes there's that and there's also um i know that it's not always feasible or realistic to keep all of the processed foods out of our house because we live with other people that may not have made the same choice as us so in my house there there is bread and there is sugar and there is pasta but i just don't eat it and so my daughter who used to and luckily, I'm the one in charge of buying the food and making the food. I say luckily because my daughter, she used to have pasta three or four times a week. And over the years, I've just sort of gradually cut the frequency. And now it's like once or twice a month. And when she asks for it, I will say yes, because it's so infrequent compared to before it doesn't really matter I mean she's 13 you know won't do her any harm a couple of times a month so but it just she never even noticed 
that I reduced the frequency of how often she ate pasta. You know, it's great you should bring that up because there is plenty of people that out there that think, okay, I might be able to do it, but how do I incorporate my family? How do I bring this into a house? I don't want to be out there making three or four different meals every night for everybody in the house. So maybe you could say, is it by leading by example? Is that the way you bring your family on board? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't expect my family to be on board in the sense to do exactly like me. They're on board with having a mother or a wife who's happy and feeling good, right? Because they love me. Um, But on board doesn't mean let's all do the exact same thing and eat the exact same things. So when I first started this, two week experiment that I mean, I thought it was weird and they thought it was weird. We all thought it was weird. Um, And that's fine to think it's weird, you know, Uh, because it is any change. I say this as a teacher, any change is difficult and requires effort, even change for the better. But I don't expect my family to eat exactly like me and nor do they. Um, funnily enough, people ask me, oh, does your husband eat like you? And I'm like, well, when we first met 21 years ago, um, he told me he doesn't eat sugar or desserts. And I thought that was completely crazy. And I'm only just catching up to him, actually. (laughs) And then my daughter, our daughter, you know, she, yes, she will eat some sugar or some sweets or biscuits or whatever from time to time. But I tell you, Um, it's so much less than most kids but I do feel as a mother that if I um, completely say no all the time all she'll do is sneak around and try and get it another way and binge on it or whatever and have this um, sort of an unhealthy relationship with foods that she's air quotes not allowed to have so she's she can have whatever she wants but the beauty of it is that she doesn't really want that much sugar in the first place Yeah, that's great. And it is so refreshing to hear it from you because that I always reiterate to people, everybody's different. And when I say everybody, I mean, that includes everybody under your roof. Everybody. We have three people in this house, me, my wife and my young boy, all three of us. Yes, we eat mostly real foods, but we all have a totally different nutrition. My wife's drawn more to the fruits and the vegetables. My little boy obviously enjoys his fruits and things like that. I'm not a really a big fruit person. I'll go, I'll go over to the meat side, you know. So we're all in the spectrum of having a better nutrition than your average person, but we are still all absolutely totally different. So it's really yeah. great to hear they reiterate that because there is lots of people out there, and especially some people I've worked with, I presume it's the same with some people you've worked with, who are like, well, I can't possibly get my family to eat like this, to eat like me, to eat everything like me. It's not about like you say, everybody eating the same thing. It's about just trying to get rid of the worst things in your nutrition, like all those processed foods, bring in the real food. If you've got a house full of real food, then does it really matter how they're eating it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And also sort of um, thinking about how set in stone are our habits like having a dessert, even a healthy dessert after a meal. I used to think, you cannot have a meal without a dessert. It's just, it cannot be done, you know? And this is what I'm saying. When I first met my husband all those years ago and he was like, no, I don't eat desserts. And I thought, well, how can you not? But, you know, you can absolutely, because a lot of people look for a healthier version of desserts, which is fine, but I sort of prefer to reevaluate our whole paradigm of having to have a dessert after a meal. And that's, you know, I, I created my website, my own podcast called Life After Sugar, because when you cut sugar, at least when I cut sugar, it made me reevaluate my whole life and all of my habits. And I thought, I got to thinking, why am I looking for a dessert after my meal? It's sort of like I was seeing the meal as not enough. And that I extrapolated to my life. What is it that I find that's not enough in my life for me to go and look at something else, like want something else, something else, either a sweet food or a sweet experience, because I'm feeling that what I'm having, eating, living now is not enough. So it got totally philosophical for me for quite a long time. Yes, I mean, there's no doubt that uh, food really does play with your emotions. And and like you say as well, it is very, very ingrained in people's habits, how to eat, what to eat, and what the process of eating includes. And that's why 
we try and say, if you can make those little changes, because they're more likely to stick over a period of time. If you can chip away and make those little extra little changes each day, then they're more likely to stick. But there is certain people out there and plenty of people I've worked with where if you hit it hard, you know, in four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, wherever you want, try and make those habits change in that period of time, then those can stick as well, as long as you are coached well and you continue after that period of time to keep niggling away at those habits. I know from my personal experience, everybody thinks, and it's probably similar to you when, when you speak to you, that we've been doing it and it's easy for us to do it the whole time. But no, <laughs> we've all been through our different kinds of turmoil with it and figured out what's best and the, and the correct ways to go with it. So I'm pleased you've emphasized that. And it'll be great for people to hear listening to this podcast that they're not alone in those feelings and thoughts. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I mean, it wasn't, it's not easy. It's relatively simple, but it's not easy. Again, just like learning a language, not easy, but it's doable. And I think the sort of the central thing that I talk about is not so much about the food. It's about your relationship with the food and your mindset with the food. And so if you're able to step outside the, this paradigm of what you've always done and what you've always believed and have this intellectual curiosity of, of questioning, huh, do I really need to eat three, four, five, six times a day? Do I really need a dessert for my meal? Like why, why do I need it? With no judgment, just as, as a, an interesting, curious question, then I think that's a great first step. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for today. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but you just mentioned it then. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? And and your great podcast as well. Where's that? Yeah. So the podcast that I've had since um, January 2021 is called Life After Sugar, available on all the podcast players, available also on my website, which is aftersugarclub.com. So you can go to aftersugarclub.com and there's all videos about what you can eat that's real whole foods and fermented foods as well. And there's my simple guide to getting more energy with less sugar, <laughs> because yes, that's possible. That's on there as well, as well as all the podcast episodes. I also have a membership if you know people want some more support called the After Sugar Club. That's aftersugarclub.com. You click on join the club um, and I um, also from time to time give a more kind of intense uh, six-week program the life after sugar program um, I am also on Facebook life after sugar Instagram my life after sugar and we're recording this a few days before I open up my YouTube channel life after sugar so that's coming very very soon Wow, December that's great. That sounds really, really good. So uh, yeah, I urge everybody to go over and check all your things out and uh, definitely add you on social media and things like that. And I thank you very much for your time today. It's been great. Thank it's you, been informative Matthew. and I'm sure everybody's learned a lot from you. Thank you oh, very much. It's been smashing. Thank you so much. There we go. Netta shared some real insights into how changing your habits can really benefit you. You know, it doesn't take long. Like she said, two weeks, two weeks and she was hooked. Then she realized how much difference she felt and what benefits it was doing to her body. It really is about real food. Whatever type of real food you choose to go down, then just give it a go. Ditch all that processed junk. Ditch all those refined and processed sugars. And if you want to get carbohydrates, then get some carbohydrates from those real food. It really will make a difference to you. And if you want to go down the real food line of just fruits, just vegetables to start with, then go with it. But your body will be missing so much. You need those bio-available vitamins and minerals all from that animal produce. So the optimum type of real food nutrition includes plenty and plenty of animal produce. If you want more information on that, then go to my new website. That's right. We have a new website, www.humannutritionlifestyle.com. It's still the same web address. It's just a new website. And on there is some nutritional information. You will find the nutrition ladder. And if you look into the nutrition ladder, obviously at the bottom of the ladder, we have the processed junk, the processed diet, leading all the way up to the top of the ladder which is those real food, prioritizing animal produce, real food at the top. 
And just like any ladder, start at the bottom. Just take away those processed foods to start with, edge into those real foods and then make your way up to the top. Like Netta says, if you try and jump into it all in one go, you might fail. So just make those little incremental changes through time and you will get there. Now, new to the website is the affiliates section. And this is where you can go and find the great produce that I use myself and that I tell anybody I work with to go and try out and try and use. They are things that don't have any added sugars in them. They are not got any processed oils in them. They're just not absolutely ultra processed foods. Sure, some of them have more than one ingredient. They may have two, three ingredients, but they don't have the vast array of ingredients that things from your supermarket will do. And they are much more beneficial for you because they only contain real foods. So if you want to know what kind of produce I eat and what kind of produce I promote, and go and check out the affiliates link. There's more coming at the moment. We have two on there for you. We've got the Eat Pluck, which is a great, great seasoning. It goes with absolutely everything. And within the Eat Pluck seasoning, they have the liver and the heart and plenty of organs mixed in with herbs and spices. So you can't even taste them. But what you are getting is you are getting the nutrient density all the vitamins and all the minerals that are within all the great organs of an animal's body. So go and check them out. Go via the link, go shop, get as many as you like. And it really does last you a long time and it goes really, really well with everything. So there's that one. And there's also now Hunter and Gather Food. Some of you may have listened before when I talked to Amy and Jeff from Hunter and Gather Foods. They're really trying to promote these better produce in the supermarket. And there's a link there to their website. You can go buy straight off their website. And if you go via my link, you can get 10% off for yourself as well. So that's an extra bonus. All the links to all my social media are on the website. Just go to the follow me section and they're all there. The email address to be in touch with me if you've got any questions is on there. Or you can just fill out the, the submit forms. It'll go straight to my email. I'll see it straight away. And I've got a great, easy to navigate recipes section for anybody wanting to look through all the recipes I've posted before. Then you can have a look through all of those. And I will be trying my best to upload as many as I can, uh, as much as I can. So if you haven't already... Go check out the new website. I'm really excited about it. www.humannutritionlifestyle.com Until next time, make sure you're happy and strong and thrive.